Welcome to Basketball Network. My name is Harry, and today we'll be talking to Danny Manning, 1988 NCAA champion with the Jayhawks, the all-time leading scorer in Kansas basketball history, 16-year NBA veteran, two-time All-Star, sixth man of the year in 1988. Danny Manning, welcome. Thank you for having me. Uh, my pleasure. Like, like, just like I mentioned, all those honors, uh, you won it all. You won it all in college. The Wooden Award, uh, the Naismith, uh, three-time All-American, three-time Big East Player of the Year, and of course, uh, the NCAA Championship. What would you highlight as your most important uh, accomplishment, or perhaps, perhaps your favorite one? Well, my favorite accomplishment throughout my professional playing career was coming back from three ACL injuries. Um, at the time when I had my first one in, in my rookie year in the NBA, 20-something games into the season, it was considered career-threatening. And Bernard King was in the midst of coming back, the great Bernard King, and he gave me a lot of inspiration. I also found a lot of inspiration from a college teammate by the name of Archie Marshall, who did that in college two times. And so for me, being able to come back from not one, the second one was a little bit easier. And then actually the third one was probably my easiest rehab because I'd been there before and I knew what to expect. So for me, being able to persevere and battle through those injuries and still play for as long as I did, I feel very grateful and blessed for that uh, opportunity. It makes a lot of sense. And, uh, and someone who, uh, and my, I mean, myself, I had reconstructive uh, ACL surgery on my uh, left knee, left knee. So I understand uh, everything mentally that you have to go through and it's really, really hard. Uh, I mean, I never played on your kind of level, but I can imagine, you know, with all the expectations and everything coming back three times, just amazing. Yeah, very fortunate. Had great doctors, had great therapists, wonderful support people around me, including my family and my kids. And uh, I was a little bit stubborn because I still wanted to play the game and be involved. And it, and it worked out well for me. Um, when talking about your, your college career, besides uh, Larry Brown, University of Kansas um, coaching staff also featured some really big time names like your father, Ad Manning, uh, Bill Self, John Calipari, R.C. Buford. What was the feeling, uh, you know, to be surrounded with such a wealth of basketball knowledge? Well, Coach Brown definitely had a great staff. He put wonderful mentors around us. Not only all those coaches that you mentioned, but also Alvin Gentry was also on that staff and Greg Popovich at some point in time throughout my career at Kansas. And so we had people we could go talk to about anything, whether it was basketball, whether it was life, um, whether it was actual on-court experience. And also Bob Hill was there also who later on became an NBA head coach. So Coach Brown always had great mentors and great knowledge around him to share with us throughout um, our everyday lives in college. So very thankful for that opportunity and very thankful for those gentlemen to be great mentors to us. Um, your, your victory in the 1988 NCAA uh, finals is often regarded as one of the biggest upsets, just given the fact that you had um, 11 losses that season, I believe, and historically no team has ever done what, what you guys did. So uh, you had an amazing uh, game, uh, tremendous performance, 31 points, 18 rebounds. Um, what can you tell us about that experience? And I know uh, your bunch, your, your guys were named Danny and the Miracles. 
Well, that was obviously a wonderful run for us in 1988 to win a national championship 30 minutes away from our, our campus. Uh, but going into that season, you know, we were ranked as high as number one preseason by a few people. We had a very talented team. We went through some injuries. We went through some, I'll just say, subtraction with Coach Brown making some adjustments to the personnel on our team. And when we were, we were struggling at one point in the season, we'll say we might have been like 12 and 8. And every time we lose a game, Coach Brown would come into the locker room and go, guys, we're close. We're this close. We're right there. You got to continue to grind, believe. And we as a team did that. But we also had great pride in ourselves. We wanted to do whatever we needed to do to help our team be successful. And so, you know, on that run for us, we get a chance to run up against some teams that beat us in the regular season. You know, you talked about Oklahoma, who we beat in the championship game, but they beat us two other times in the regular season. We go back and we look at film and we thought if we corrected this mistake, if we took care of this, if we got better in this area, it could be a different outcome. We lost to Duke earlier in the season. We lost to K-State earlier in the season. And so for us, playing those teams down the stretch of our NCAA tournament run actually gave us a little bit of comfort in the sense of knowing that there was a level of familiarity with those teams. Not saying that we felt confident enough that we we're going to beat them this time around, no question. But the prep time for us um, went very quickly because we were able to get to deeper parts of the scouting report because we already had a level of comfort with those teams and playing them already. Just an amazing run. And I guess, uh, you know, some guys that were hurt came back and coach made adjustments and you won when uh, it was necessary. Um, yeah, I mean, one of the biggest adjustments to try to catch off was Kevin Pritchard. Kevin Pritchard was our point guard. He was hurt late in the season. He was able to come back on that tournament run for us. And now Kevin is running the Indiana Pacers. So, you know, we had great basketball knowledge out on the court. Another starter in that lineup was Milt Newton, who's in the front office with the Milwaukee Bucks. So we had a lot of guys that had a great understanding of the game and knew what it took to, to get the job done. So we were very fortunate in that aspect. And that year, uh, yourself and Kevin, Kevin Pritchard, uh, the two of you went uh, to the league, actually. Was there anybody else from that team? I, only two of you. Uh, Kevin went the following year. I was a little bit older than oh. Kevin, so he he went the following year. But uh, we had other guys try out, but you know those we were the only two to 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 get there and make it for a while. We had other guys go overseas and play and, and represent their countries nationally. Milton Newton did that um, for his country. So um, no, no, no one else went on to that NBA level. Great. I'm uh, sorry, Mark Randall did. Mark uh -huh. Randall played on that. Uh, was on a part of our championship team. And he had a great career in the NBA, most notably with the Bulls when they were on one of their runs. How did you feel uh, when, you find, when you found out that your jersey number 25 uh, will be retired um, at KU? Um, when I found out my jersey was going to be retired at KU, I, I, I was very obviously happy, elated, but also humble because I, you know, I got a chance to go in that gym from my senior year of high school all the way through my four years coming back in the summers and working out in the summertime, um, going in there with different friends. And you look up there and you see Wilt Chamberlain, you see Jojo White, you see Charlie Black, you see uh, Darnell Valentine, Dave Robish, you see all these great players. And, you know, at that point in time, when you first walk in there and you see it, it's kind of like, wow, that's pretty cool. And then to be included in that group, I feel very thankful. I feel blessed. And the reason that I'm, there was because I had a lot of very unselfish teammates to help put me there. 
And also Coach Brown and his staff did a wonderful job of helping me develop, not only as a basketball player, but as a young man. So extremely grateful, humble, and um, very blessed to be a part of um, just the Kansas basketball fraternity in general. Amazing. Um, following your, your senior year in Kansas, you got selected uh, to play for Team USA in uh, 1988 uh, Olympics in Seoul. What was that experience like for you? Being able to play for the 1988 Olympic team to represent our country in Seoul was obviously a tremendous honor. Got to play for the late, great John Thompson, who recently passed. And uh, that was education in itself, the different things that he talked to us about, not only on the court, but off the court in life. And so I, I still hold some of those gems to this day. And when I'm able to coach teams, I share some of those nuggets with them. Um, it was a bittersweet experience, to be honest with you, because we didn't win the gold medal. We, we, we lost the game and we ended up winning the bronze medal, which we're very thankful to win, but that was not the goal. And so um, I, I, we, we joke and kid, we paved the way for Dream Team because the following year Dream Team came in, but we got beat by a really talented team led by um, Sabonis, who at that time was still moving pretty well in his career and, and did some amazing things out there on the court. But it was a disappointment not to win the gold medal, but it was obviously an honor to represent your country. And you mentioned Sabonis. That, that's when he still had his knees. And just imagine, you know, him coming uh, to the league when he was in his prime compared to, you know, 32, 33 when he actually came. But we'll never know. <laughs> yeah, we never know. But you know what? Somebody who is similar to Sabonis that's playing right now is the Joker in mm -hmm. Denver in terms of um, not above the rim type guy great IQ, great understanding, wonderful skill set, can make shots from the perimeter, and obviously passing. I mean, Joker will go down as one of the best, if not the best, big man passer in the league because he could do it in the post and also out on the perimeter. But if Sabonis would have come over um, in his prime, you know, his name would be mentioned in that, in that category just because he was that talented. Mm -hmm. um, and I did some research, I have to ask you this. Um, uh, I found out that almost every year or every fall, uh, University of Kansas hosted the Soviet national team on their regular American tours. During your sophomore year, you had a tremendous game. You destroyed them with 28 or 30 points. Um, however, against the same team in the Olympics, you, you went on saying later that, you know, that was one of your most disappointing performances. You went scoreless. What was the difference? Was it just Coach Thompson's system playing, uh, you know, just the way he played the team? Uh, and would it, would it make a difference if Larry Brown uh, coached the, the, the Team USA in 88? Well, we played the Soviet team in, in, when we were at Kansas in one of our exhibition games. Um, you know, we, we did some really good things. When we got to the Olympics, I had opportunities. I just wasn't able to cash in. Um, you know, like I said before, it's probably one of the most disappointing games I've played. And production-wise, it was certainly one of the worst games I've played. And I felt like if I would have played a better game, it could have been a different outcome, just to be honest with you. So um, the Soviets just did a, you know, you have to give them some credit. They did a really good job. But I also thought there were some opportunities that I would like to have back because I thought I could convert a little bit better than I did during that Olympic game. Thanks, thanks for the honesty. Um, <laughs> on to your uh, NBA career. You were the first pick of the 88 NBA draft. Can you talk about dealing with the pressure uh, of justifying the number one selection? 
being the number one pick in the 1988 draft was was an amazing experience. Um, I get a chance to go out to the city of LA and I go from a college kid to basically a millionaire living in LA with not a lot of experience in terms of, you know, finances and, and buying houses and, and things of that nature. And so for me, it was a very eye-opening experience. It was a very fun time to be honest with you because you go from being quote unquote a, a teenager or a young man to you get thrown into that grown man category. So you have to start making grown man decisions. And so for me, being out in LA um, was very different. It was unique, it was challenging, but I loved it. You know, LA is one of my favorite cities to go visit now because of my experience in my young adulthood. Uh, but playing for the Clippers was a challenge in itself because the Clippers were a team that, you know, hadn't done very well historically. And I thought we had a group of guys that could come in and, and, and definitely help us move on to a, a, a different tier. The year before me, Reggie Williams from Georgetown, Ken Norman from Illinois, Joe Wolf from North Carolina were there. They were kind of the, the young guys. And then we come in with my class of Charles Smith, Gary Grant, Tom Garrett, and myself. And we thought, hey, we've got a good little nucleus. But in the NBA, it takes time. You know, you got to go through some bumps and bruises. And I thought we went through some bumps and bruises. And by the time Coach Brown became our coach in L.A., we had a really good team. We had some really talented players. And, you know, we went on a couple playoff runs that were a lot of fun to be a part of. And uh, when talking about Los Angeles, uh, uh, the city of angels, um, you, you mentioned just, you know, the fact of being a, a college kid and coming to L.A., uh, millions of dollars. I'm sure there were a lot of temptations you had to handle. Did, did, did you have a mentor uh, within the team or the NBA who kind of guided you through those times? Well, we had a rookie orientation pro program with the NBA that, that gave us a lot of great information. Um, we had some, you know, for me, I, I had some veterans on that team that, that pulled me to a side and did a great job of talking to me about some of the pitfalls in the NBA. Norm Nixon was one of those guys. He went on a great run with the, the Lakers and then it transitioned over to the Clippers. Um, Benoit Benjamin was another guy that gave me great information. And Quentin Daly. Quentin Daly had some troubles throughout his career, but he was really always upfront and honest with me about the different things that I needed to do. And then for me, the biggest mentor in my life was my father, who played professional basketball in the NBA and ABA. And we had talks all the time about what I needed to do to make sure I was putting myself in the best position possible. And for me, you know, I tried to show a little bit of discipline, but it's hard. You know, you, you move out to L.A., it's, there's so many things going on, and you have to understand that you can't be a part of all those. No different than when you go to college. You get to college and you want to go to every, oh, this group is getting together. Let's go hang out here. Let's go hang out here. And you have to start making decisions on what's best for you in the future. And, um, you know, I, I tried to do that early on in my career, but it was very challenging, especially when you move out to L.A., and you get a chance to, to see a lot of different things you haven't experienced before. Um, in a recent interview with Fox News, uh, Doc Rivers actually went on saying that Danny Manning without injuries would have been a Hall of Fame basketball player. Uh, I personally really don't like talking about what ifs, but um, the fact of the matter is that your career was really you know plagued with, with injuries and uh, You, yourself, you said, you know, when you came in, uh, first 25, 26 games, you um, 
Uh, you had to do ar arthroscopic surgery on your knee. Um, can you just talk about, uh, you know, if you think your numbers and just the outcome of uh, your career would have been dif different uh, if you hadn't had those in injuries? Well, for me, that's, I, I can't dwell on what would have been, you know, that my hand was dealt. This is what I have to go through. This is what I have to, to navigate. And I try to do that as best as possible. You know, the one thing I am proud of, you know, I talked about coming back from those injuries and still being able to have a long career in the NBA. But, you know, I feel like I did it in a manner as such that not a lot of people talk about the injuries. People know I had injuries, but a lot of other people are, are able to talk about me as a player and as a person on the basketball court and, and don't bring up the injuries as much. So to me, that means um, the group that I had, my doctors, Dr. Steven Lombardo from LA, my, my master therapist, Clyde Brewster, Johnny Doyle, and of course, my, my personal trainer, Carl Horn, did a terrific job in helping me rehab and, and come back from that injury, not only physically, but also mentally. Because you go through a hurdle that you have to navigate, whether trusting your knee, knowing that it's strong enough to handle what you need to, to do to be successful out there on the court. And so for me, it's never a what could have been, it was what was, because I feel very fortunate to have played as long as I did. Yeah, you definitely had the longevity and came back. You know, some players weren't as fortunate, like Sam Bowie and uh, Greg Oden, most recently. Really uh, big names, potentially, but never managed to just come back like you did. Um, during your tenure in L.A., you shared the locker room, like we previously mentioned, with Doc Rivers. Looking back in those days, um, were there ever signs of him becoming a good coach in the NBA? Just the leadership, the basketball IQ, uh, willingness to learn? Oh, absolutely. You know, whenever, you know, for me, I had a chance to watch Doc. Um, I'm a little bit younger than him, play with the Atlanta Hawks and, and see how he was a point guard for a team with Dominique Wilkins and, and Kevin Willis and a lot of other talented basketball players. And then I get a chance to play with him. And, you know, he was uh, one of the years in L.A. I had my best free throw percentage shooting year. And a lot of that was not a lot of it. It was all due to the different things that Doc would talk about throughout the course of the year. Um, with me and, and different young players on our team about making sure you convert those free throws and making sure you can make teams pay at the line. And so for me, you know, Doc always showed great leadership, great understanding. And then, you know what, he also had a great, he had great empathy for putting himself in someone else's shoes and trying to see it from a different angle. And I think that has helped carry over into his coaching. I think when you look at him as a coach, um, he does so many things well, but he's able to relate to his players and get the best out of them. And, um, you know, he's going to find another job and be successful. But, you know, he's had a great playing career and he's certainly had a great coaching career because, you know, he's he's always competing for championships with the teams that he's coaching. Exactly. And I think he was really unlucky this year. And, you know, the Clippers are just going to have to do a better job of uh, you know working on their chemistry and maybe finding that leader in the locker room. Yeah, well, I think anytime you put together any type of team, you know, it, it's, it's hard to gel. It doesn't happen instantly. It doesn't happen overnight. And I think if you look at that Clipper team, they had some really talented pieces. When you talk about Kawhi, who's one of the best players in the game now, Paul George is terrific. But, you know, they had a cast of guys that all had to figure out their roles and figure out what they needed to do to help the team be successful. And um, it doesn't happen overnight.
Um, and one more thing about the Clippers. Um, after his departure from the NBA, we learned a lot about uh, Donald Sterling. What was that like for you, finding out that stuff? Donald Sterling was always a unique individual. <laughs> you know, that's probably the best way to describe it. He was always unique. And um, yeah, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. He was a unique individual. That's fine. And, um, you know, not too many surprises. That's fine. Um, in 1994, you got traded to the Hawks uh, in a deal that sent Dominique Wilkins to the Clippers. Um, did you have any, uh, well, how do I put it? Did you, did you feel any pressure of matching Nick's uh, impact in Atlanta? Um, the only thing I wanted to match of, of what Dominique had helped his team do was be successful and win. You know, I was not going to come in and, and be Dominique Wilkins. Dominique Wilkins has a statue outside of the Atlanta Hawks arena now. You know, his, his, his play at the University of Georgia, I mean, he's an icon there. Tremendous basketball player, great guy. And for me, I just wanted to come in and, and continue to have the team perform at the same level. We were able to win the Central Division Championship, which was a goal that I have going into it. And I'm very happy that we were able to do that. But I got a chance to play for Hall of Fame coach and Lenny Wilkins. And that was a tremendous experience. But the guys on that team, whether it was Stacey Augman, Kevin Willis, John Conkak, you know, the, Craig Elo. There were so many guys, Mookie Blaylock, Dwayne Farrell, Paul Graham. There were so many guys that um, understood what Dominique meant to that program, to that city, to that team, to that state. And, you know, those guys did a good job of welcoming me into the mix and, and bringing me apart. And so I, I feel very thankful for those guys and also um, the wonderful opportunity of playing for a Hall of Fame, another Hall of Fame coach in Lenny Wilkins. And you played for some really great coaches, but we'll get, get to that later. Um, after a brief run with the Hawks, you signed with the Suns uh, and you joined the contending team uh, for the first time in your NBA career. How was this uh, different compared to playing with the Clippers? Well, the reason I chose the Phoenix Suns, because I thought that was the best fit for me, not only basketball-wise, but also um, for my family. I mean, Phoenix is a wonderful town. My kids were starting school. My wife was able to meet some friends and develop relationships there. And then I played for a Hall of Fame owner in Jerry Colangelo. Uh, that was very important to me to play for an owner that, was really all in with his team and, and, and Jerry Colangelo certainly that and more. And, you know, I got a chance to, to go to a team, like he said, that was, we had a chance to compete. And uh, unfortunately for me, I, I blow my knee out my second time, uh, my first year with the Suns. But before that, I thought we were playing very well. and We had a chance to, to make a little bit of noise moving forward in the playoffs. And uh, what was it like playing alongside Charles Barkley as a teammate, as a leader? Um, playing with Charles Barkley is challenging because, you know, he brings so much attention to you. And so you got to make sure you're on your game night in and night out. But it's also a lot of fun because Charles enjoys himself. He makes sure his teammates are loose. And he does take a lot of pressure off of his teammates Um by how he carries himself, the things that he says, and things of that nature. And so for me, I enjoy playing with Charles. Um, my family's got a chance to get to know each other pretty well. And so for me, it was a very good experience, but it was very unique because Charles commands a lot of attention and um, he, he's, he's unique in that way to a lot of guys. 
Uh, I, I mean, I, I really love uh, Chuck and just, you know, him as a personality. And uh, well, I guess, I mean, having shared the locker room with him and you, you've heard and seen a lot of uh, hilarious stories, uh, do you mind sharing an anecdote or something that happened that we haven't heard, perhaps? No, you've heard all the stories. I mean, <laughs> he's, what you see on TV is what you get. And that's how <laughs> Charles was as a, as a teammate. You know, one thing that people probably don't know about Charles is he's got a little bit of clean, freaky, clean freak in him. So there are a lot of times if he felt the locker room was dirty, he'd go around picking it up a little bit. I don't know if some of that was just a way for him to relax or if he was really a clean freak. But, you know, he did that quite a bit. And not a lot of people uh, know that about him. <laughs> That's funny. Um, also, while playing with uh, the Suns, uh, you played with a young Jason Kidd. A lot of guys that play with him, um, you know, often say that he's one of their favorite guys to share the floor with. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. You know, Jason got traded to us, and he was he was tremendous. I mean, he, the things that he was able to do out on the court, the way he could will teams to win, the way he incorporated his teammates, the way he talked to his teammates, um, it was a wonderful time for me. You know, because if you're, you're someone who you're active and you're moving around and you have your hands ready, Jason will find you a lot of times and so for me that was one of the biggest things that I tried to do I mean one time we're playing and, and you know Jason loves the pass to basketball we all know that he's one of the best assist men in the history of the game and he throws the pass and it wasn't a great pass but I probably didn't go after the ball the way I needed to or I should have and so you know there's a break in play and, and Jason's like hey Danny you know I like to pass the ball I'm like yes you do you do a great job of it he goes well I need you to do me a favor Whenever I'm throwing you the ball and trying to get you the ball, I want you to try to catch it, no matter what type of pass it is. And at that point forward, I, anytime he threw a pass, if I had to jump out of bounds or whatever, I'm, I'm going to try to do my best to get a hand on that basketball. And in return, you know, obviously I benefited greatly from the way that he passed the basketball and being active on the court. But, you know, Jason also was somebody that um, you could see the, the leadership on the court, but you also could see the way he related to his teammates and, and thought he was going to be a really talented coach too. But also on those teams in Phoenix, Steve Nash broke into the league with us and he was there. Kevin Johnson was there. So, you know, the Suns did a great job of acquiring talented players. Leaders and players who are going to be coaches, actually yes. are coaches. Yeah. Um, after your tenure with the Suns, you joined the Milwaukee Bucks, where you were coached by George Carl and played alongside Ray Allen, Glenn Robinson, Sam Cassell. Can you talk more about you know that year uh, with the Bucks? Yeah, that, the year I played for the Bucks was a was a traumatic year for me, and I say that just purely selfish reasons because I live in LA, I live in Atlanta, and I live in Phoenix. And then I go to the climate of Milwaukee. I wasn't quite ready for that adjustment. <laughs> and it was, it was a lot different. It was a lot different. So, you know, I, I enjoyed the city of Milwaukee the longer I was there. Um, it's a wonderful city, a lot of things to do on the, on, on the water downtown and a great community of, of support and things of that nature. So I, I enjoy playing with Sam Cassell. We were teammates in Phoenix, so I had an understanding of him, and I've known him for a very long time because of his connection to, to his city of Baltimore. And my father played for the Baltimore Bullets, so we had a lot of common friends. 
Um, Ray Allen was someone I really enjoyed getting to, to spend time with and watching him prepare. And to me, you know, Glenn Big Dog Robinson is probably one of the best in-between mid-range shooters the game has ever seen that probably doesn't get the due that he deserves. And, and you just mentioned Glenn as a shooter, but uh, I guess when Ray, when Ray Allen um, came into the league, he was more of a slasher and uh, a scorer, but he then adjusted his game later on after his injury as well. Did you ever expect him to be such a great shooter? Well, I always thought he was a good shooter. And I thought once he got to the league, he continued to improve and get better. But, you know, being around him and seeing his work ethic, seeing his routine day in and day out, how he carried himself, how he took care of his body, um, there's no surprise. You know, the way that he shot the basketball in the games was due to the preparation and time that he put in. Um, Utah was your next uh, destination where you were coached by the late, great uh, Jerry Sloan. Uh, what was your experience uh, like over there? Um, coach Sloan, Hall of Fame coach, terrific coach, a lot different coaching style than some of the other coaches I played for, very stern, disciplinarian, shared his energy and his emotions um, on a regular basis with his players and didn't mind confrontation from time to time. Um, ran a very, very tight ship, if you will, but playing for John, playing with John Stockton, playing with Carl Malone, two Hall of Famers was, was a joy for me. And, um, you know, at times I, I, I felt like I, I scored points based upon those two guys being out there and how much attention that they drew that you're able to make a backdoor cut and everybody's worried about John with the ball or Carl posting up or Carl running the rim that you get easy opportunities. And so for me, I, I really enjoy playing for the Suns. And obviously they have a very eccentric and electric fan base and, and that city gravitates and, and really loves the jazz. So that was a cool experience for me. Not to mention living in that environment, you know, waking up every morning and seeing the, the snow-capped mountains and breathing that wonderful crisp air was, was a wonderful experience. Was it colder than Milwaukee? No. <laughs> no. Uh, maybe, maybe there could be some, some type of climate change, a scientist that says I'm wrong, but for me, going from L.A., Atlanta, Phoenix to Milwaukee was probably the biggest transition in weather I've ever gone through. And uh, you talked briefly about Carl uh, Malone, the mailman. Uh, he was 37, I think, at the time when you guys played together. And he was still one of the best big men in the league. Uh, you've seen it firsthand. What was the, uh, I guess, secret be behind his longevity? Well, one of the things I noticed about Carl's longevity was um, his work ethic. You know, for me as a player, I always enjoy getting to the gym early and things of that nature. And I always because I needed to do that to prepare my body after going through three ACLs. You know, there were certain routines that I needed to do and, and treatments I needed to get to prepare to practice and to play games. And, you know, Carl was, Carl was there before me at times, a lot of times, the majority of the time. And so his work ethic, his preparation was something that I really uh, was inspired by and um, really thought was outstanding. You know, but he, he gets his work in and, and he's prepared and he did a tremendous job, obviously, of taking care of his body. He was one of the guys for me in my career where, you know, you look at someone who comes into the league and continues to develop and mature as a man. And, and I could understand that after playing with him and seeing what he did to put himself in that position.
you spent your last two seasons with the Dallas Mavericks. Um, what was that like? And, and, you know, after, I guess, concluding your, your, your basketball career, was it, was it hard to say goodbye? How would you, how would you describe those last two seasons? Uh, the last, you know, few seasons of my career, it was more so, um, you know, playing for Dallas, you get a chance to play. I'm back with Steve Nash. Dirk Davinsky's coming into his own. Michael Finley, who also played for us in Phoenix at some point, was there. So I had a chance to see two young guys that I see break into the league, develop into superstars in the league. And then you see a budding superstar in Dirk Davinsky. and was a lot of fun. And then Cube was the type of owner that he was trying to establish the Mavericks as a destination place for free agents. And so he did a lot of cutting-edge things, whether it was – how they took care of the players on road trips or at home games and things of that nature. So it was fun to experience that. But for me, the, I could see the writing on the wall. You know, the end of my career, I was, I was an insurance policy for teams. I needed to make sure I was there on time, took care of my body, knew what was going on, and was prepared whenever they put me in the ball game. And then for me, I felt like what I could do to help my teammates night in and night out was share with them what I'm seeing from my bench seat. It's like, hey, they're playing pick and rolls this way. They're double teaming from here. Or when you come off the ball screen, this is a rotation that they, they have behind in terms of trying to take away passing lanes and things of that nature. So, you know, that was something that I tried to do later on in my career, sharing with my teammates what I was seeing out there on the court to help them. And, and having played with, with, with Dirk, um, did you ever expect him to excel in, in, in such a way? And did he show that kind of, I guess, excellence when he came in? Dirk and Steve, uh, those guys would play one-on-one on a regular basis. Finn would hop in there with him a lot. And, you know, the shots that Dirk was making the middle of his career towards the end were shots that he was working on when he first got in the league. You know, you go in the gym and you see him shooting one leg, step back floaters, and you're just like, <laughs> okay, that's unique. That's unique. That's a, that's a shot that only you're shooting right now. And he mastered those shots. So all those shots that kind of looked a little bit awkward for, for, for us visually were shots that he worked on on a regular basis in that gym. And it was all that hard work that paid off. You know, he's probably one of the best shooting bigs the game will ever see. And he could really shoot the basketball. And a lot of times for me as a player, it was frustrating to guard him because you see him make those shots on repeated bases and you're like, how is he doing that? How is he doing that? But, you know, he, he was a talented player and a great guy. Awesome. Got, got to love Dirk. Yes. Um, on, to, on to your coaching. Um, well, you were coached by some of the biggest names in um, NBA history. Uh, who would you highlight as the best coach you ever played for? And maybe who was the biggest influence for you, um, you know, when you decided to become a coach? Well, the biggest influence for me as a coach, um, there were three people. Um, Larry Brown, Hall of Fame coach, was a great mentor for me in college. You know, he helped prepare me for life. He made me a better basketball player. Bill Self, when I retired from the NBA, was someone who I joined the staff. He created a spot for me, and I got a chance to see how he prepares his teams and, and how he interacts with his players. He's a Hall of Fame coach. And then my father was probably was my first coach. And so those three people have had the biggest impact on me, on my philosophy. But every coach that I played for, I'll pull a little bit from. 
And sometimes I like this, I'm going to use this. And some of it is like, I didn't like this as much. I'm not going to. But I feel very fortunate in the sense of all the coaches I played for in some way, shape, or fashion has helped mold the mentality and philosophy that I have as a coach. And, um, well, I guess for all those uh, kids out there, young prospects, what do you look for when recruiting a player? What are the top qualities you're interested in? Well, I think first and foremost, you, you have to have a certain level of talent, no matter what level you're playing at, to, to be able to make a contribution on the physical side. And then from there, it's you want to find out what type of work ethic they have, how they're going to carry themselves. Those are two, two of the biggest things. And, and understanding and, and me and the staff trying to get these young people to understand that basketball is not going to last forever. You've got to use this game for as long as you can and be thankful and grateful for all the experiences that you have. But at some point in time, it's not going to be there and you got to be prepared for life. And so that's probably the biggest message that I'm looking for. Um, someone who, starts to understand that. You know, a lot of young kids don't understand that. A lot of young kids struggle because they have great visions of grandeur like we all have. But at some point in time, understanding that it's possible, but it's also not possible. Yeah, and basketball is not going to last forever. And it's really hard to get into that 1%, actually 0.01% that, you know, end up playing professionally. That's really important uh, for young, yes. young, young kids to know. Who would you say is the best player you ever coached and why? The best player I've ever coached, man, there were so many. I've been very fortunate and very blessed. You know, for me, I probably have to go back to when I was an assistant at Kansas. I got a chance to, to coach some really talented players. Um, for me, I was, I was a big man coach for the most part when I was at Kansas. And there was a stretch there where we had – quite a few guys that ended up being first round draft picks. When you talk about Cole Aldridge, Markeith and Marcus Morris, who are actually playing or had good runs. And Markeith is still playing with the Lakers right now. Thomas Robinson, Jeff Whitty, those were some of the bigs that we had. Those guys were all on the same team. And you don't see that anymore. Those guys loved competition and they came in, they made each other better every day. But, you know, I get a chance to, 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 to be around guys like Sharon Collins, who's a super talented college player and helped us win a lot of games at Kansas. Xavier Henry was someone who, who went on after one year moving on to the professional ranks. And so for me, I got a chance to be around some really great basketball players at Kansas. And so I'd probably say the most talented players on a regular basis for me was there at Kansas because I was there for nine years. You know, I had some really talented players at Tulsa and and Shaquille Harrison is one of those guys who really jumps out because he was a grinder and he's put himself in a position to, to be in the NBA. But James Woodard is having a terrific career overseas. And then I go back and I look at some of the guys that have been able to coach at Wake that have been able to move on overseas and have great careers. So I've been very fortunate. But I would say the majority of the time, uh, for the length of time I was coaching, I, I, I was involved with more players at the University of Kansas. And you mentioned the Morris brothers. Um, I can't say that I, um, I follow their college career, but it seems like both of them developed the three-point shot uh, really, really well. Um, and is this something that uh, you preached at Kansas as well, or this is just something how the game of basketball, the league has developed? Well, when they came to us, they, were, they didn't, 
they were comfortable shooting jump shots. They were comfortable shooting more jump shots than we wanted them to shoot at that particular time. Uh, but those guys proved themselves um, time and time again, working on the court, working on their skill set, and they were able to shoot the college three fours at a at a very efficient clip. And then they move on to the professional ranks, and and their shooting has certainly improved. And um, those two guys have continued to work and, and hone their skills, and not only on the basketball court, but as young men. And so for me, whenever I, you know, we're able to see guys that you you had a a hand in helping coach and develop it and mentor have success at any level, whether it's professional basketball, we've got guys that are, that are, that are doctors that we've coached. And so for me, whenever you see one of your former players doing well, prospering after college, there's always a sense of pride. It's really, really great. Um, all right, Danny, uh, we, we always like to end our uh, interviews with a series of quick fire questions. So sure. just really short answers and um, short questions and, and short answers. Um, the best teammate you ever played with? Ron Harper. Most underrated player in the league right now? Most underrated player in the league right now. Wow, that's tough because I don't, I don't get a chance to watch as much basketball um, professional basketball as I did in the past when I was a player being a college coach. Well, we can so change I'm, it. We can change it to uh, all time, but yeah. All time. Um, well, there are a lot of talented players that probably don't receive the due, um, but you know what? I, I, I'd probably say Scottie Pippen from the standpoint of what he was able to do and help those Bulls teams accomplish with Michael Jordan. Um, I, I think Pip will go down or should go down as one of the best all-around players our game has ever seen. The toughest matchup, your nemesis. Toughest matchup for me, when I came into the league playing for the Los Angeles Clippers was trying to guard Magic Johnson. Really? <laughs> yes. I said I mean, trying he was, to guard. Yeah, he was so versatile playing all positions. So... Uh... <laughs> That's a crazy matchup. Um, the the goat. The goat. Well, for me, um, I don't have a goat. There's not just one person who I think is the best of all time. So I think that there's so many guys that are deserving of being in that conversation. And probably the first one I like to talk about is Wilt Chamberlain. Yeah. Average fifty and thirty. Led the league in assists one year. Um, dynamic. Michael, LeBron, those are guys, Jerry West, Oscar Robinson, and of course, Bill Russell. It's really hard uh, to compare eras and something that probably shouldn't be done. But most guys, when you say GOAT, you think of, there's a player you think of, yeah. Um, the best shooter ever. The best shooter ever? I, I can't give you one. I played with a lot of great shooters. <laughs> to me, I did, you know. Um, probably one of the best shooters that, that I felt like every time he shot the basketball was going in was Rex Chapman, a former teammate of mine. Um, I mean, I had a chance to play with Ray Allen, too, but, I mean, I was only there for a year, and I got 
few more years with Rex. Yeah, he developed his shooting game afterwards. Um, All-time starting five. All-time starting five. That's a tough one just because I appreciate so many different guys. You know, I, I, I do. I, I can't give you one. I can't give you a starting five. I, I, There's so many guys I think are so de deserving of that honor mm -hmm. that it wouldn't be fair to, 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 to eliminate anybody. Makes sense. Can you give me, can you give me the best international player of all time? The best international player of all time. I'd probably say Dirk. Um, favorite NBA team growing up? Favorite NBA team growing up? I really didn't have a favorite NBA team growing up. Like for me growing up, every Sunday would be the game of the week. And so whoever was playing that game of the week, as a fan of the game, you just wanted to watch. And, and so for me, it always seemed like it was the Lakers, it was the, the Celtics or the Knicks that were playing for some reason because of, I guess, their media markets or how good they were. But those teams were always on TV. Olympic gold or NBA ring, what would you rather have? Both of those are exclusive. <laughs> you know, both of those are really exclusive. I think um, here in the States, there's a lot more notoriety put on a, a, a world championship, a ring in the league. But, you know, representing your country and winning a gold medal is no small feat now, especially the way the game of basketball has grown and how talented the players are across this, this world. All right, uh, Danny, thank you so much for your time. I know you're a busy man. Uh, really pleasure uh, having this conversation with you. Wish you all the best in the future. And uh, till next time. All right, thank you very much for having me and have a great day.